Before you get knee-deep into the podcast, we have an important apology. In some of our episodes of That to the Past, and for reasons we can't explain, AD refers to the late, great Oliver Frey. We wholeheartedly apologise for this error, and would like to confirm Oliver Frey is actually alive and well. AD has now been forced to play Brian Bloodaxe for 100 hours without a break to repent for his error, and we would like to thank Mark Broadbent, one of our amazing Twitter followers, for giving us the heads up. We welcome all feedback, so please contact us through the usual channels. Now please enjoy Zap to the Past. episode two of Zap to the Past. My name is Adrian Mills and I am joined as ever by my good friend and co-host Graham Raddings. In case you don't know, this is a podcast that focuses primarily on games that were released for the Commodore 64, but we also take a brief look at what was going on in the UK back in the 1980s. There were thousands of games released for the Commodore 64, so to bring order to this chaos, we are using the magazine Zap 64 as a monthly guide for the games to focus on. I would hasten to say that we are in no way affiliated with the magazine Zap64 itself. So, this is for your attention. If you're listening to this, please be aware we are not the sweariest of podcasts. We try not to. We try to avoid cursing for most of the time. Um, And we do succeed, but from time to time, the odd swear word does slip through. We hope that doesn't offend you too much. It doesn't mar your enjoyment of the episode itself. But this is just a warning for those with sensitive ears. In this episode, we'll be looking at the games reviewed in issue two of Zap 64, which was the cool, wet and rather dull month of June 1985. Graham, what exactly can we expect in this episode? In this episode, we explore the perils of nuclear war with Theatre Europe. We play some tennis with Uncut Tennis. We even die in for a game of Mule. We also look across at Super Pipeline 2 and Load Runner and Everyone's a Wally, and well, it turns out not everyone likes Everyone's a Wally. Um, I think on, on that note, should we get into these games? Game number one. Um, and uh, so this was the cover game. I think most months we're going to start with whatever was the big game, so usually it's on the cover of the, of the magazine. Um, and before we do, this was the, this was uh, Theatre Europe. It's a bleak, um, bleak old cover. That was a, yeah, <laughs> a bit dark, uh, I did want to. One might say, <laughs> I did want to discuss the cover. Zap's covers are very good. They're very, very good. Drawn by Oliver, uh, the late great Oliver Frey. Um, <clears throat> issue one was a nice space cover because it was to do with Elite. Issue two's is a, a very grim, <laughs> um, <laughs> very grim uh, de- depiction um, of nuclear war. Uh, in which the cover depicts uh, a, a rotting, zombified, gas-masked face in full horrific close-up. Um, That's a very, do... very good description of that uh, particular cover, I have to say. Yes, it is. Yeah, lots of greens and horrible colours and, and sort of, you know, this is not... Obviously, yeah, this is the uh, result of a nuclear blast. This is This is someone who's not come out the other end in the best of conditions. Um, and I, I do seem to remember that in the next couple of issues, they did get a few complaints about this. This yeah. was not your average 
I mean, remember sort of thing, this is 1985. Computer games are aimed at kids. Um, <laughs> and here we have a magazine aimed at kids with what is, you know, a, a pretty horrific <laughs> picture. Very by, horrific. By today's standards, you, well, you look at it, you're like, oh, oh dear. You raise a very interesting <laughs> very question, else. though, actually. The, the interesting question is, what was the target demographic for Zap? Because it was, was it kind of school kids? And well, was it a little bit older? Because the guys that were doing it were what, 18, 19? So I think so. Yeah, they were like late teens, early 20s most. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, so they were aiming this at what, essentially your teens, mm-hmm. right? So this is bleak. We were at the probably the this is bleak bottom, for teens. We were probably at the bottom end. <laughs> yeah, we were, yes. we were what, 13 at the time. So we were at the bottom end yeah. of their probably their target demographic. So for us, I mean, for me, it was amazing. <laughs> I, I, I'll come into this. I didn't um, when I first saw this uh, issue of Zap before. I thought, oh my god, that that cover is incredible. You know, I was into werewolves and ghosts and vampires and all all kinds of blood curdling things back in the day. Um, so this to me was, you know, was great. I loved it. So I didn't have really have a problem. Yeah, and of course, this was the eighties, and in the eighties, everything was going to die from some kind of radiation thing. At least in the early 80s, at least 1980 to 1985, 86 was all nuclear war and radiation. And then post 1986 to other periods, it was other things. But, uh, you know, for that initial period when you had different changes in the premiership of the um, of the of Russia and at the time, because um, the USSR was working its way through different um, premiers at the time, it was all getting a bit scary. We had Reagan as well. And these things are impossible to describe to the, the youth of today. They are. They don't get it. The cover was particularly gross. It was. And it was depicting um, the game Theatre Europe. So Theatre Europe, what is it? It is a... uh, It's a real... Not real time. It's a turn-based war sim, mostly single screen, um, that depicts... The conflict between the Warsaw Pact forces, which was at the time the Russian forces, the the Iron Bloc, whatever you Iron behind Iron Curtain, the the Eastern Bloc, whatever they were called, um, and NATO, so the the West of Europe, uh, U.S., England, uh, Britain, sorry, France, Germany, that sort of thing, um, and it depicts what would happen if we went to war with them. Um, leading to you know a series of turn-based where essentially the Warsaw Pact overrun Europe, which happened every time I ever played it. <laughs> I'm not sure if you were the same. Yes, um, I was never going to do well in this game. I'm not particularly strategic, and that is a major flaw if you're going to enter a nuclear-based conflict of any kind. <laughs> and this, this game just uh, always overwhelmed me and... You know, and um, it had some really strange quirks. It has to be said, it's an, it, I think it's actually a very clever game. Um, but um, it had some really peculiar quirks. But it was, like you say, um, you were never really, you were always kind of pitched against the odds in this game, I felt. The odds were against you from the start, right? They were, very much so. Um, the, the, the problem, was, well, not a problem sort of thing, was just if you, you, I mean, you could play either side. You could play the Warsaw, uh, Warsaw yes. Pact, you could play NATO, so um, you could overrun it sort of thing, but... If you wanted to play, you know, obviously we're from Britain, but my obvious choice would be to go and play um, NATO. You were just going to get, you're just going to get steamrolled. Yeah, you were going to head for annihilation pretty quick. Yeah, and and the the, the thing with this game is that it it doesn't it doesn't it, 
it's the visuals. If we talk about the visuals, the visuals are perfunctory. I'm putting aside that really, really strange arcade screen thing, Majig, which seems out of place <laughs> in the game. Yeah, just um, it is so out if of we, place. we put that aside, that. sort of thing. The, 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 the game is sing- singly played on a single sort of map screen of Europe. Um, with yes. very simple graphics, with very simple representations of tro- troops. You've got uh, some sort of statistics for each of your units in the corner. You can you can move each uh, battalion, which is a round circle, one square each turn. Um, and if there's an opposing force next to them in the eight eight directions, you can you can engage them in battle. Um, you have your turn. You go to battle. Warsaw pack. You can then restock or resupply. Warsaw pack to its turn and repeat. And repeat, and watch Warsaw Pact walk over Europe, because um, that is literally what happens. Yeah. Um, and it's 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 brutal. It's really brutalist in its aesthetic. I thought it's uh, from its its sound effects. The moment you, the weird thing is, sort of thing is, it starts off with um, a quite jaunty rendition of "Give Peace a Chance." Yeah, I thought that to be fair. It's like this really weird, light-hearted um, sort of bop along. You know, uh, give peace a chance. And Paul McCartney is that right? Is that did give peace a chance? Uh, that's um, that's uh, the other guy. The oh, other it's John one. Lennon. It's John, John Lennon. Lennon. The, John the other Lennon. Beatle. Yeah. Yes. I was, I, for a moment, I was going to say Ringo. So, I was John like, Paul, Ringo George never sang Ringo. that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the Mexican drummer. No. Um, no. So yeah. So John Lennon said, "Sang give peace a chance." I do apologise. I get the Beatles. I never like Beatles. Um, it doesn't matter. No, but so you get this jaunty version of this song, which doesn't doesn't prepare you for what's coming. No, as you you pick your team, your team. Sorry, you pick your side. You pick the level difficulty level, which are impossible, nigh on it. You know, nigh on impossible, impossible, and are you having a joke? Um, that's the three difficulty levels, and then you you get into the game, and the first thing that breaks you is this discordant sound. Just as this, you know, every time there's a new turn, this sound plays and it's harsh. Everything about this game is is just intended to like keep you at a cold distance, um, and it's it works. It works so well, um, uh, it, and it is, you know, it, for that cover, for that cover, you know, the horrible. We talked about the cover sort of thing and the horrible definition of that sort of thing. This is. You know, from a, a, a you know a huge macro, a micro sort of micro version of this sort of thing, looking out from a, a huge distance, you don't get to understand what the what the horror is like on the ground level as you just see these red forces just march over Europe. At the end of each turn, you are given a choice: continue, launch chemical warfare, or launch nuclear warfare. Chirpy. <laughs> Absolutely. So at any point, you can you know you can break the Geneva. Packed whatever Geneva uh, is it Geneva Convention, sorry Geneva yeah. Convention, and launch chemical warfare at them, or you can just go all out nuclear war, uh, and you can do a targeted thing, or you can just go all out and just throw everything. Um, and usually the game ended with nuclear war. Um, I actually never uh, something in me always I never did chemical warfare. I don't know, maybe I'm maybe I'm a good guy. Um, I don't know. I did launch nukes, so I'm not that good. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'd rather people just be vaporized than die coughing and spluttering and in horrible, you know, messy ways. Um, so, you know, it's a lesser of two evils, I guess. So, yes, yeah, so as the game progresses, your forces just get systematically wiped out and you're left with no option. You can either, I, I don't even know if there is a surrender option um, because I always launch the nukes. Um, <laughs> and you can choose to launch a single or launch the lot. I always went the lot. I mean, what the hell at that point? Um, and at this point, um, 
it, we, we need to sort of put you back into 1985 um, because the game does something very, very clever at this point. Um, and if anyone played it back in the day, they will, they will remember. But what it tells you to do is go ring a telephone number. This was a real-world telephone number um, to get the authorization code for the nukes. And if you didn't have any magazines, you didn't have any tips, you didn't, you didn't know what it was. So you picked up your phone, you rang this number, um, and I, I haven't listened to it. I'm sure it's on the on YouTube. We may find a link to it and play it. I'm sure we can probably find a copy of some of it. Um, but I seem to remember it, 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 it. It's quite chilling. It tells you what the launch code is, and that launch code is a really great phrase. It's midnight sun, which I always liked. That was really evocative as a, as a, as a couple of words um, to launch nuclear missiles, and then just ends with a baby crying. I seem to remember. <laughs> Bleak. Yeah. So you go back to your, you go back to your, you, you know, your Commodore 64, 13, 14 year old, you type in Midnight Sun and then it asks you, yes, launch codes authenticated. Do you want a full strike or just one? Full strike. And then you get this bleak series of, you know, dots just appear on the map screen. The Warsaw Packers, well, we can do that as well. Dots everywhere, moving over every city. And then there's a, a graphic, well, sort of a fairly rudimentary graph representation of, Missiles coming down and mushroom clouds. And then the Vidi printer, which has been uh, your friend, which has gave you the ask you to put in the codes, then goes a bit crazy and just types goodbye. <laughs> Broken, <laughs> brokenly. <laughs> and then we're back to give peace a chance. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm sensing there's a message in this game. Um, the... The, the, the notes I'd made for it actually were, you know what, uh, the graphics may be perfunctory. This is um, there's a risk element. I mean, the actual board game risk element to this game. It feels a bit like that. There's some resource management stuff. I felt like this was a very heavy forerunner for titles like Command and Conquer, which came way later. Um, in that you've, you know, because Command and Conquer features nukes, but you've got to build up your armaments and you've got to make key decisions and military tactics. And yeah, there's a whole other load of other stuff in there, and Obviously, the Commodore 64 has got 64K, so take all that crazy graphics and stuff out and the music and all that. Right at its core, you've got a very intense strategy game here. And um, for those that like that kind of strategy game, that don't like the immediacy of um, of um, arcade-style games, which were the kind of the foray of that platform at the time, um, for those that like those strategy games, there's plenty here to go at. There's always that temptation, though, to just, you know, launch nukes or launch the chemical attack but at the same time um i felt this this game i didn't think it was heavy on its message it's not like it's banging the sort of you know peace and goodwill message at the end of the day you know there's a there's repercussions in this game if you do things in this game there are repercussions for them and i quite like that about it um but it is very of its time now this at that time i think 1983 to 85 you've got movies like war games and stuff like that coming out there's this whole thematic of doom and gloom and nuclear attack. There's TV shows like Threads. Then there's TV shows like The Day After where there's nuclear attacks on cities and what will happen and the fallout and the big explosions and all the rest of it. And I think it plays into a little bit of that paranoia that was going on at the time in a quite clever way. Considering it's 64K and considering that, you know, that, that whole idea of ringing a phone number, I think is, it's genuinely innovative. There's nothing like it like that at that time. That's That's such a clever thing to do. Um, I admire a game that takes that takes itself so seriously that you know when you make a key decision, you've got to go to another medium, pick up a pick up the phone at that time, literally pick up a phone and dial 
not like it's a mobile at that time. You're picking up your, your home phone, dialing, and you're going to get that kind of code and the kind of the, the sort of the baby crying and all those things and that thematic. And I think um, it's so heavyweight and so dramatic that I think it deserves a bit of credit for for doing it that way because there is nothing else like Theatre Europe. And I don't think there actually is for quite some time after that. In fact, I'm not sure there even is ever again. So it's a true one-off, really. Yeah, I mean, I'm not up on my sort of full strategy games, and there might be something buried in the depths, and someone who's listed might go, well, there's this on the PC, and there probably is sort of thing. But I don't think, I mean, this is quite a well-known title, I think. This is, you know, broke out of the, the strategy um, strategy. I mean, it's a gold, it's the gold medal game in Zap. I can't think of many other strategy games that get that sort of thing. And it's, it, it, it yeah, it, it is um, setting a message sort of thing. It, it is telling you something. Uh, it, it is a, a you know a re- representation and a reflection of, of what was going on at the time sort of thing. That we were living in a, in fear of you know all out warfare but it was in the middle of the Cold War. This is before the Perestroika, before the wall came down. Um, this was very tense times. That even you know that for someone living on a council estate in Grimsby as, as it was sort of thing this was a bit of an eye opener uh, you know so um, and, and and one of the things just to sort of mention in the um, in, in the review sort of thing that they, they talked to the developers um, and, what, and I, f- I found this really really quite scary sort of thing but probably at the time I was like Ooh. but at the t- but looking at it now the developers said that they had to um, fudge the numbers um, because every time they ran it um, normally the Warsaw, I mean, it happens anyway, sort of thing, but every time they ran it uh, with perfect AI, the Warsaw Pact just stomped over the NATO um, with, accurate, with accurate numbers, with accurate figures, which they got from, you know, various various sources, they were saying. So they had to tone down the Warsaw Pact forces, which was really quite terrifying because, you know, if you, for anyone that can remember, there was lots of pictures coming out of Russia of these huge parades and these massive missiles. Um, it was crazy, strange, strange and quite scary time sort of thing and I think this game really did tap into that um, and and yeah I think it, it it stands up without shadow of a doubt to this day it's still yes. great yeah I agree um, the perfunctory nature of it actually works in its favour I think um, this feels like a kind of war game um, and there's repercussions and, the, and for me the fact that it jumps to that alternative medium is something that you don't you very rarely see even now no, you can't think of an Xbox game that would say, right, now you've got to pick up your phone and ring this number to do this thing. It's unheard of. And um, and I find that really, really interesting about this. And apparently that number was 24-7 too. So um, it wasn't like it, you, you'd ring at sort of 8 o'clock and it goes, sorry, <laughs> thanks for ringing the Theatre Europe hotline. Um, you can't cause a nuclear Armageddon right now, but you can <laughs> ring back tomorrow. Um, yeah. You can't do any of that. You, know, you could ring 24-7 and get that same midnight sun message and stuff and even that in of itself the idea of ringing a number um it's just it just everything about it is unique and i and i really like that and it wasn't a game i played way back then either a lot um subsequently since we've been doing this podcast i've played it quite a bit and uh and i just you know i'm never going to get anywhere fighting uh the warsaw pact <laughs> i discovered that very quickly on you know the first thing you know strike quick strike fast strike hard get the code and uh you know, nothing good can come of it. Just listen to John Lennon for a bit, because that's <laughs> you know that's my, that was my lesson. You know, John Lennon can cure a lot of things, and it seems that's what they discovered with Theatre Europe. But I think he deserved its gold. I have to say, absolutely. And I think just to, to come back to that phone number sort of thing, it is a you know a, there are a lot of plaudits lobbed at games like um, something like Metal Gear Solid, um, which asks you you know utilize sort of real world objects sort of thing in that 
at one point you're told to you're told to look at the box for the uh, for a code to ring someone in the game um and people are wondering oh, it's actually on the back of the back of the cd case there's a picture with a code on it if you're talking to this this character and so a lot of people are like oh that's incredible that he's reached out that sort of thing i mean this was doing it well, you know 13 13 14 years prior to metal gear solid and, and doing it you know from a small sort of team running a, a one-off telephone line somewhere in, in the UK. So I, I think, yeah, it's it, it's a great game. It's it's well worth your time to just to go and have a look. And yeah, I think you are perfectly right sort of thing in that those visuals um, do it, you know, are actually almost not, I, I hate to use the word timeless because they're not, they're just representations of Europe. It's just a map. Um, they don't need to be anything more. I will say the, ne- the only negative is that really battle s- screen thing, arcade, bit you can go into yeah which seems an, an odd i would have just preferred it i mean you press space just to do the battles automatically it should have just done that they should have just scrapped that i think um i think that that was a because it's it's it doesn't it doesn't lend itself to anything you're not sure what's going on you don't know if your actions are actually lending any weight to the to the conflict because uh, there's no gui there's no anything you don't know what's going on and it just feels a bit like oh we need to put something in for him to play no, I agree. And 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 I think they would have been better off leaving that out. So No, I completely agree. It did feel to me a bit like the producers said, Look, there's no arcadey stuff or anything in this. What are you doing? So they were like, All right, fine, <laughs> we'll put something in. Goodness me, good. So it kind of feels a bit thrown in for no reason. But um it doesn't detract too much really from the overall game. So No, because you can completely it, skip it. Absolutely. For me it was a it was a definite a gold game, but a very a game very of its time. I know it's a bit like watching Threads or um, the day after now. You watch it and you think, you know what? Um, I don't know if it's retrospective because you watch it and you think none of that came true. So it's kind of like, oh, it never didn't happen. But I could tell you, I mean, I'm sure you you would agree. Back in 1985, this was scary stuff, right? You know, we were were genuinely were living with a time when. No, you had one president on one side of the show saying he has space weapons of some description. And a, and a premier on the other side saying that you know they were gonna you know fire nukes if they wanted to and you know you can't stop us kind of thing and there we were as a little tiny island in the middle you know with with their own US missiles and protests and all sorts of stuff going on it was a game of its time but it very much captures the theme of that anyway so a good gold winner for me mm, absolutely yes theater Europe grim but good So that was Theatre Europe. Grim, but good, as we said. Um, let's just continue with something a little more lighthearted. Um, I think I'll let you talk about this one. You seem to like this. On court tennis. So um, this is actually a it's a tennis game, obviously. Um, and it was, um, is it Activision, this one? I think it was Activision or was it? Yep. So it, it's it's got that early pedigree. Activision games generally at this time. There was a little bit of thought in there. Um, and I have to say, um, it wasn't a bad... T- now, there was there are parts that aren't great. So this is a tennis game. It's one player or two player. You play it from back of court to front of court. I have to say, that became kind of the standard way to play tennis games. I don't think there's another way you could really do it. But um, so, you, obviously, but you've got, you know... But the, the, there's a few things in here that are worthy of note. So the speed of this game is good. It's not like it's slow. Some of the animations on the players are a little bit janky. They, you know, you, you, it does feel a little bit awkward when you're sort of staggering about a little bit. Um, 
But these good animation on the rockets when you hit the ball, the timing of them is all it's all about timing this game and about being able to hit it in the right way and in the right place and that just takes some practice and everything else. So for my money, um, this was actually a, a decently speedy tennis game. And because of that, I didn't play it two-player, but because it was decently fast and the graphics weren't too bad and the ball animation was good in that it got smaller as it went to the back of the court and then it got bigger as it came to the front, you did you had serves and you had the whole sort of remit for tennis, it actually felt like a pretty good game. Now, I think it's based upon, whether it's a convert or based upon an arcade game of some description, I don't doubt that. Activision at that time seemed to be doing that with some of their sports titles, but I thought it was a pretty good version of whatever it was, and it certainly was a very playable tennis game, and I think Zap agreed. They felt it was actually pretty good. There was some, as I say, some, some animation issues, but on the whole, um, and I don't even like tennis particularly, I thought it was quite playable, but what did you think? Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, I thought it was okay um i seem to remember playing quite a lot of it back in the back in the day um i seem to remember quite enjoying it the visuals are quite good nice chunky big sprites that you know for i mean it's only two tennis players there's not that much to render i guess um so they could afford the sprites on the players the ball is nicely animated the animations are okay um my biggest thingy was it was that it just i don't know whether it was my my version of played it sort of thing but i just felt that the um the response was just a tad too slow um, I was kind of once I got used to it, and I, and I do like the um, uh, the control method sort of thing. So instead of pressing fire button to hit it, sort of thing, you would hit it in one of the cardinal directions, up, down, left, right, to do a different type of shot. So you know whether you wanted to pull it to the left, the right, and I thought that was that's quite nice. Um, and so yeah, I got some enjoyment out of it. Um, uh, it reminded me of the precursor. Did you ever play Virtua Tennis? Yes, Sega's classic. It's that. Yes, it is. Because Virtua Tennis, because this. This doesn't because it has uses the joystick for its um, you know swings. It takes control off you, so it moves you around the court to where the ball is going to go. Very similar to what Virtua Tennis did, obviously you know about you know, uh, fifteen years later. So it's a, it's, a, it's a really early sort of example of the same kind of control method that Virtua Tennis offered, um, and and it was okay. I can see why it got its sizzler because it does it does offer a quite a nice play. I like the uh, you, know, you know the ability to. Um, Pick your different player, whether you wanted to be Bjorn or John or Jimmy or whoever. Um, and I thought, thought it was okay. Yeah, I, you know, I, it, I played through a set or two and, and thought this is okay. It's, once I got used to the timing, um, it really was that. And, and I think that's quite good sort of thing because it you had to learn to play it. Um, and once you did, you could feel yourself actually getting better at it. Once you could learn that timing, I found it for some reason easier to be at the back of the court than at the front. I'm not quite sure what the, whether that was because it's kind of slowed down as the ball went, you know, in the sort of the visual sort of representation. Um, I did find it easy when I was at, I was at the back of the court to actually play that. So serving, I always, you know, if I could actually get a serve in, that was usually that was quite good going. But um, yeah, it was all right. Um, I did like the ending, whether mine um, glitched out or something because it, it led to some kind of weird dance-off staring contest. Um, in the end, sort of thing, they both players went to the middle of the court and just bopped from side to side, staring at each other. <laughs> which, which, uh, which is, a, you know, I think all tennis games should probably end that well, way these days. I have to say the same thing. <laughs> I think um, they're missing a trick when they don't do that, right? So that should be how they do it. Yeah, because you know, just uh, I think that's what should happen. So, but on the whole, this was all right. I can see why that would like it. I could see at the time. Um, I don't know of many of the tennis games that were around or have been done at the time, sort of thing, and certainly not to the level of polish and playability. That this actually, you know, had well, no. the visuals sound, sound was okay. 
tennis. Yeah, well, if you, know? if you think about it, right, so it's only, a, 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 what, two or three years before this that your tennis game was Pong. So... Uh, well, thirteen. Well, yeah. Even so, you know, <laughs> for for the general population, yeah, I know what you U- mean. For I, the I'm... population of the UK that, that were playing on the grandstand games and the things like that prior to the home computers, their their knowledge of tennis, other than what they saw at Wimbledon, was kind of pongish type games. It certainly didn't have outside of the arcade. It certainly didn't have the graphical representation of people and them, no, having, them having the the animations of uh, serves and and hitting the ball back and the ball being animated and bouncing in a certain way and you've been able to do those kind of um, slices and and all those various different kinds of shot in tennis so and I have no idea what I'm talking about in terms of tennis shots so I'm assuming <laughs> the slice is one of them um, but as what I mean to say is that um if you compare if you compare like for like of any other tennis game around at the time up to that point uh, it had been kind of left to right bat and ball or top to bottom bat and ball but literally stick and ball um, I felt that this was the first time they'd really ventured into at least as far as I've seen um, ventured into a real tennis game but you know uh, there was that, um, there was an ambition around this game um, because sports games um, were kind of the go-to thing um and there's a few of them as we'll look at a a few more that we've looked at the football one last time and we'll look at a few others this time um the sports games there are actually there's a lot of difficult logic to employ into a game that does that tennis is no different um you know the the way the ball bounces it cannot be uniform and the same every time because the game would become too mechanical so it has to have that kind of element of random chance about it and and i think it did have that um because you never when you were serving as you say you never really knew where that ball was going to go so uh, it did make it difficult to um to made it more it made it easy to sort of be on the receiving end of a, of a serve so you could sort of at least uh, try and hit it back and it was about timing and the way you did it and i think um there's some there's a lot of good positives about this game it, it surprised me actually i found it really playable um and i don't generally like sports games of any kind particularly um, um, because they get very repetitive, but this had a. If you take this, you know, up the graphics and the ante a little bit, you're not far off sort of the Sega Sonic tennis type games, really. You're right. It's, vir- it's virtual tennis. It's literally yeah. vir- this is virtual tennis, eight bit without the virtual. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just it's just eight bit virtual tennis. Because in virtual tennis, you don't move around the court the, that you get moved, and you just basically use the the, the buttons and the stick to actually direct your shot. This is very similar. Um, you know, and I think in that respect, you would trace a lineage directly from this to virtual tennis. Um, and it looks, you know, if you if you eight bitted virtual tennis, it would look like this. Yes, and it's got good sounds too. The crowd sounds and the you know, the sounds perfunctory though they may be. The whole tennis court sound. You're not going to get that kind of you know angry kind of grunt that they. <laughs> players tend to emit nowadays at you know, 700 decibels but I f- it felt to me like it felt like a tennis game with actual tennis physics in it and that for me was very refreshing and I quite enjoyed playing it too so it, again another another good game I have to say it, you know I know start, starting off strongly yes this, this is, is good, a lot better good. than last time <laughs> yes it is it's not going to stay that way no but it's yeah. not <laughs> <laughs> just a, just a I mean, no, spoiler just, warning yeah, but just, no, it's, it's, not. it's going to go downhill I feel <laughs> yeah um, so yeah on court tennis all right I, yeah it's all right yes all right. it's and uh, I do I do remember playing a lot of it back then yeah so, it's yeah, not quite right. an ace but it's um, <laughs> <laughs> it's a 40 love it's a 40 love yeah it's a 40 love <laughs> 
it's, it's a baseline smash. It's a deuce. It's a deuce. There it is. Deuce. <laughs> Good old. All deuce. right. Anyway. That note. Let's move on to our next game. Um, most of these got sizzlers, by the way. Theater Europe was their gold medal. Uh, on court tennis was the sizzler. Uh, our next game up is, I'll just call it its name, so Mule, M-U-L-E, all in caps. Um, okay, so I knew very little about Mule. I'd never played it back in the day. I, I had very little to know about it. I'd not read anything about it. I've read a little bit around it since then. Um, seems that this was originally on the Atari 4800, um, which does explain something because I understand that the Atari 400 had four joystick ports, which is unusual for back then. Um, and so you could see why with this. So this is essentially some kind of... Well, the first thing, it's by Electronic Arts, which I didn't know, which is quite interesting. I didn't realize this was an Electronic Arts uh, game. Um, but Mule is some kind of... <laughs> trading <laughs> trade is a trading a game where, where you are on some planet you pick a character it's up to four players um all at the same time um essentially with two on the keyboard and two on two on joysticks um where you could do stuff you had a you had a plot of land on an alien planet and then in that plot of land there was you could get a mule and then wander around and i don't know I don't know what the was going on. looking for is confusing. Yeah, I, I mean, the first time when I first... I got my plot of land, and then it just came up. I, I, my first note is, I won $119 gambling, um, <laughs> which I did. Then everyone else won some money gambling, and then there was some weird auction house that seemed to go on forever. Um, I was like, oh, just bid. Just, you know, and then it, I didn't realize that you had to walk to the line. You had to do the John, it was the Johnny Cash version of auction houses. <laughs> um, so you had to walk the line of getting there. And then, then you could say, if the longer you stayed at the line, the more you wanted to buy or sell. Um, and then it repeated. And then it, all to this, like, I mean, presentation wise, it's really quite interesting and unusual. It's, it's an odd game from every facet, but I don't know if it's good or not because it's just so, um, it's, it, I don't know. It's so confusing. It's so baffling at times and it's so, odd and in, in its I, I don't know it needed it, it's, it has severe pacing concerns because everything seems to tech forever and like I don't know whether it's one turn and then suddenly it was all a turn because then I got granted another plot of land <laughs> I don't know why everyone got a plot of land so we did it all again <laughs> at that point I was like you know what I've, I've had enough this this mule has I need to take it and shoot it down at the, <laughs> down, at the down at the river um, but uh, yeah it's, I don't know, I, th I think maybe in fought with four players and understanding what the hell was going on and the actual point of the game might be all right, but I don't know because it's weird, 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 weird. In a, in a time when games were weird, mega weird. weird. Yeah, I mean, my <laughs> comment was this was, uh, what the hell is this game about? Because um, <laughs> I got the idea that it was some kind of four-player trading thing. And instantly I thought, you know what? I just, I just don't like games where I have to trade stuff. I don't like multiplayer games, particularly two players, probably the max I like to play games with. I didn't like Gauntlet for the same reason in the arcade back in the day, four-player stuff. You know, I liked, you know, two-player max. So the idea of four people playing, two cluttered around a keyboard, two hammering joysticks, no one really knew what was going on and it all being a bit random. 
And the, the graphics and the presentation of the game are quite demo-like. You know, there's a demo-y feel to it. There's obviously a lot of programming and coding gone in it, and there's some cool stuff, the way that the, the sort of mule appears on the title screen and the little colours and everything. It's all good, don't get me wrong. And that's the presentation-wise, it all felt great. It just felt like it was all building up to something really mega. And then when it actually appeared, it was kind of dull. And and it, I tuned out pretty quick after that. I'm like, do you know what? I, I haven't got four people, three other people with me. <laughs> Nor is the phrase, do you want to play a three-player game of Mule, ever going to come out of my mouth and, and be received well by anybody I know. So not now, and nor would it have been in 1985. Um, no, I've been asked to leave parties when I've said that. I think there's a reason why this game totally bypassed my game radar at 1985, um, because it's just something I would never have looked at. And even if I looked at the, the game cover back in the day, you could rent games in Grimsby at J&M Software, something we'll talk about probably another time. But um, I, if I'd have been going, cruising across the C64 shelves of games and seen Mule, it wouldn't have been on my hit list if it's compared to something next to it that's, you know, some, there's bound to be something else in the M's that would have been more likely that I would have rented it. So um, when I played it, I wasn't overly impressed. I don't quite get the great rewards and the great review that Zap gave it, I have to say. Um, I, they reviewed it in the way they do, and that's fine by them. I didn't get that kind of feel from it. I didn't play that. For me, it didn't feel like that. Um, it felt a little bit evangelical, their review, to say the least. But that's you know that's sometimes the way they see the games at the time, and you've got to put the context in you know they were in 1985 and they were reviewing those things at the time and you know and in that context maybe it was you know something really mega um but for me um it was a misfire um i wouldn't say it was rubbish but i, I didn't quite get the game and i think that's what i think i i think um i avoided it and sort of didn't get into it because of that there was always that kind of um it was always going to be distant for me i think yeah i think i think you you're right there sort of thing it's like putting yourself into the the you know, looking back on it now, it's it's one thing, but thinking about what this would have been like for a lot of reviewers, probably churning through so many sort of crappy arcade games and rubbish conversions of like that, being confronted with something that was very different, very unusual, that was communal. They probably all got around a computer and played it together, and I, I imagine sort of in that that you know context, I can see why they were probably quite positive about it because I imagine as a as a you know, especially that auction bit where you probably some are selling and some are buying, and you're trying to outbid and outsell each other. That on a you know, if you're all doing that against each other, I can imagine, like any you know, couch co-op, couch counter co-op, whatever you know, is is inherently enjoyable because it's the social side of the game. And this is an unusual example of a social game that's really social for that. It's unusual in that. It's just I don't think it works out of that context. No. That, that's what I would say. No. And, and it, I think it also, like you say, it's a game of... a lot. Of, the funny thing is, with this particular issue of Zap, there's quite a few of the games that are of their time in this issue. Um, slightly less so from the previous issue, because in episode one, there was a few more arcade converts and, and stuff like that. But there's some games that just are of their time, the graphics are of their time, and the, but they're, sometimes they're, they're, their ideas in the game are way bigger than what they were trying to achieve so a four-player game is actually you know in 64k to make it playable and to make it something that people want to continually do after the first two minutes is actually a pretty good achievement because you've got to keep four people interested and sometimes some of these games have trouble keeping one person interested so uh, so i think it's a great concept great idea and visually quite compelling just i just 
couldn't get into it and I think it's because I'm not the demographic and I'm way out of my time zone for it had I been younger and had three friends that were all wanting to bid for stuff you know it might have got a bit more interesting but um I still stand by the fact that if I'd have said to you back then, come around for a game with Mule, you'd have been like, nah, I'm going really to go and play football with my mates. So. <laughs> yeah, very likely. Well, it's, M- so, yeah, it's actually M-U-L-E, isn't it? So is it Mule or does it stand for something? I don't know. But I think it probably stands for something. Multi-user. Logistics engine. Life. Yeah, there you go. It's exciting. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. <laughs> okay. <laughs> don't get many of them on the C64. Thankfully, Right, let's move on. So, our next game. Uh, we've got a couple more, about three more before we head for a break and do something different. Um, our next game is Super Pipeline 2. The sequel to Super Pipeline. <laughs> yes. Or was it just Pipeline? Did it become Super only in the sequel? I can't remember. I don't know. Um, I, don't, I did wonder that. Is it Super Pipeline? I wonder <laughs> I think if it was it, some Nintendo y legacy thing at one point. But I think it was Super Pipeline, the original. Um, but let's have a look. What did you think to Super Pipeline 2? So I liked this game, but I quite liked Super Pipeline or Pipeline. Um, I liked the arcade feel of it. I liked the fact that you've got little helpers that just, you know, you operate around you and mend stuff and do stuff. There's really nice little ideas in this game. They're a bit lost. They feel a little bit lost in the game because um, they're so perfunctory, the things that happen around you, that you almost take them for granted when you play this. But there's a nice logic to this. It's got really, really annoying music. Um, in it. Really <laughs> annoying. But the, I thought the graphics, considering they're the full colour, they look quite cool. The game's fast. It runs fast. You know, I, I liked it. It's, it felt very arcadey. And I think there's that they're, go, they're going through that awkward 80s cusp of arcade games conver- conversions and then arcade games that aren't conversions that actually we're realizing we can do arcade games of our own and there's a feel a feel of that to this i en- i enjoyed playing it it felt quite fast it's really hard but now that's that seems to be the curse of 1985 is that the games if you're going to make a game make it so stupidly hard that you might you want to throw your controller through the window but um i did enjoy it and i thought it felt uh, it felt like a lot of fun it was difficult though mm-hmm yeah, I think if this wasn't an arcade game, then it, it surely it really could have been. Um, to because to, to basically the, the the concept of the game, um, just to sort of outline it, is you play um, Mr. Pipeline. I don't know what his name is. Some, some guy who fixes pipelines, and he has Bobby two little Pipeline. helpers, Bobby Pipeline. Yeah, <laughs> and you've got you've, you've got his two you've got his two uh, two sons, uh, Jeremy and Kyle. Um, and Jeremy so basically, Kyle. what you got? You got sons <laughs> called Jeremy Kyle. Jeremy and Kyle, <laughs> Jeremy Pipeline and Kyle Pipeline. <laughs> so basically, you walk around on these pipes. And there's, there's a bit of, and this pipe, it starts off at a tank in the top left corner, full of water or full of liquid, and the liquid goes through the pipe to a barrel at the bottom. One, sometimes more than one barrel, and you have to fill those barrels with the water. Um, what happens is these, as in typical, you know, eight bit um, style various sprites representing odd objects so so objects that have come to life so drills lob lobsters you live but a weird assortment of uh, of sort of things move around these pipe and sometimes they will bash a bit of it out in which case if your water reaches or the liquid reaches this bit where there's now a gap it will it will disappear it won't be going towards your barrel you've only got a finite amount of water 
you have to take your little men, put them on the, you know, take them basically walk them over the thing, and they'll fix the um, fix the gap. Um, and then you've got to shoot the enemy, sort of thing. And then once they've fixed it, the water will continue flowing. So there's a really nice, if anything, if t- the, the closest thing I can rem- that modern audiences might think about that will actually explain this is the hacking mini game in Bioshock. Yes, actually, yeah. Which is basically this. Yes, it is. <laughs> because in the hacking game mini shot, but but mini mini game in Bioshock, you've got to get that pipe to the to the thing, and the water goes through it slowly, sort of thing. And you you know, it's a similar sort of thing. So imagine that. But there's but imagine if you're playing Bioshock and there were drills, eight bit drills and stuff, knocking bits out, and you were a little guy walking around. And, you know, and that that's what this is. Um, and yes, you are absolutely right. It stands up. It is fun to play. It is hard. Yes. Um, all games back then were. Um, then, you know, but it's still really enjoyable. Um, I put jaunty music. I think I was being kind. <laughs> yes, it, it is. It is a bit annoying after a while. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's just, it's just good. It's, it plays, it, I found it a little finicky to navigate the pipes properly. Um, sometimes getting from, you know, when they sort of intersected to get onto them was a bit, um, a little bit more finicky than it could have been. Um, but you know, like I said, it's fast. It plays well. It's got some really nice little little cutscenes in between it, so where little men will walk across or chase stuff or hit stuff. The animation's good. The 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 notion of like you know you think you've done one thing and suddenly there's a drill top you haven't noticed that's knocked a bit out and suddenly you've got no water coming through and you're like um, it's it's just a classic classic arcade game. And if it wasn't an arcade game, it really should have been. Oh, I absolutely. think this would have raked in the ten p's. It would have. Um, interestingly enough. Um, the only low score that because it was a zap sizzler and the only low score they gave it was for originality because they said it was basically super pipeline so even though it got a overall score of um, I think 88% I'm not sure because they don't really do overall scores but overall about 80 odd percent it's originality score was low but you know what if you're going in for super pipeline 2 it's going to be more super pipeline, right? You know, there's no way it, around yeah, it. If it, I think, if it deviated from and it deviates enough from the original to make it a bit more fun, I, I thought it was really fun. I liked it, um, and I liked the graphic style. It's the med- it's kind of that medium res shaded kind of style graphics, which the sixty four C sixty four becomes very well known for later down the line. But um, there's some nice game logic in here, and I like the two little characters. You only had one little character in the original game to mend the pipes. You got two here, and you can use them quite strategically. And, and I like that about it. Um, so uh, yeah, I think it was uh, again. This is three for three, which is very rare. But um, I really like the pipeline too. You forgot Mule, aren't you? Well, Mule was yeah. It wasn't awful. <laughs> so it's three for four. Well, it wasn't awful, but it wasn't great. The th- I suppose, four yeah, for four. Then. Yeah. Well, to be fair, there's th- three for four. Yeah, three for four. I'm the, happy with that. The, the it's, these all deserve their sizzly sizzler awards, except Mule, so, which yeah. was a bit of a misfire for me. But I like Super Pipeline too, and I think um, it uh, it certainly deserves the the plaudits it got. I would disagree with the sound score in Zap. They gave it an 82, and I'm not so sure oh, God, about yeah. that. Um, I felt no. that the music was <laughs> horrifically repetitive. But you know what? Um, there's le- they learn their lessons with this music. The whole idea of game music. You know, that we're in 1985. By the time 1986, um, a year later comes along, we'll be talking a whole different conversation anyway. So, I think it's like is it like if you episodes down the line we get thing on a spring. And I think thing on a spring is the is the changer. Yeah, there's as soon, um, as, soon as yeah, we'll we'll talk about it as time comes along. We will but, talk about that. But, yeah. You know, but so musicians step in, right? So, 
yeah good stuff super pipeline 2 yes very good yes um good as like i said in that case if it wasn't that arcade game it really should have been um because it's that good yes the arcade <laughs> game that never was Similarly, I don't know if this actually was an arcade game. I have a feeling it was, but I don't know if it was. Um, I've, I know a lot about this game, as in I know of it, but I don't was never aware that I ever played it. Um, our fifth game tonight is uh, today is uh, Load Runner. Um, uh, so Load Runner is uh, your sort of uh, okay single screen platformer. Um, if anybody remembers um, a, a sort of quite obscure arcade game. Um, that's kind of classic that the first platformer came Space Panic um, it's a Space Panic variant um, and essentially you play a little guy uh, a very a nicely animated but stick man uh, which reminded me reminded me of N++ and that sort of thing um, so you play this nicely animated stick man you're running about on really simplistic levels which is basically just some bricks and some ladders against a black background um, and you essentially have to... Is it You've got to collect some stuff, aren't you? Yeah, there's that... This, you collect well, some stuff? Yeah, you, you have to. That's the idea of the game, is to collect the things. Eventually, when you collect enough of the little... What look like power blocks... Um, yeah, then the ladder goes ladder to the next appear, level. And then you, get, you have to make your way to the ladder and go to the next level, yeah. Yeah. What I liked about this um, was I thought that the... Um, the sprites are nice sort of thing, because they're really simple, but I thought that the enemy AI was really good. Yes. Um, and really clever... In the fact that it would react to where you were quite convincingly, um, in like in in a sort of Miss Pac-Man type of way, or yes. but in, in a in a way that felt like they were aware of your presence. So it was like they would quite quite convincingly pin you into a corner, um, and you had to really strategically think about ways to get around them, trying to sort of get them into into one place where you could herd them around. But you had to plan. Um, and I like that about. It. I thought that was really good. It's hard, hard as hell. Um, I mean, um, as all these games sort of were. But the simple graphics, the simple thing. But it was, it was speedy, which was nice. It's nice and fast. Um, and so what you can do is the, your only, um, your only mechanic that I could, I could figure out was you can basically knock holes in the floor. So you can dig a hole in the floor, and if the enemies would run into that, they would drop into the hole, and then you could run across them. So you could, you could avoid them that way. Um, and you had to use that strategically because it took you time to knock through the floor. If they were too close, they would negate you and get you. Um, and, and so this was a really unusual um, platformer that showed, you know, some really, sort of, as I said, some nice AI on those enemies. And I think that lifted it above just your usual Manic Miner type enemies, which were just things just moving back and forth from A to B. Um, and a lot of platformers around that time were of that ilk. This had people chasing you, and they felt, you know, like they were quite clever. And, and I like that. Um, too hard, but I did like it. <laughs> I agree. Um, so, perfunctory graphics aside, yes, they are. However, um, there's an expediency to this game and a bit of panic. And I like that about it because you, you don't space feel, panic. yeah, well, yeah, space panic. But you, what you don't feel is that the enemies are on a cycle that's going to go backwards and forwards and up and down or whatever. There is that, you know, they're following you around. You know, you you move to the corner, bottom corner. They're going to go up and down the ladders and they're going to try and find a way to sort of trap you and stuff. It's, it's clever like that. And I, I've put in my notes that I've put this is deceptively clever actually because it seems simple on the surface, but it's really not. You know, there's 150 screens you're going to get through in that game. 
Um, and that that and it took me long enough to get off screen one. So I can only imagine you need to <laughs> you need some time to play this and some real you know some strategy around the different levels a little bit. Um, I found it you know digging the holes and them dropping in and you've been able to sort of run over them and pick up the bits and bobs. I I really enjoyed it. Simple graphics aside, I quite liked it for that. Um, there's also in this uh, you can actually design your own game levels as well. There's a game level generator in there as well. Yeah, there is. Yeah. So um, not only did it have the idea that you could play the 150 levels that have been created for you, um, but you could create your own. Again, that's a very unique thing to have in a game of this this era. Um, the idea that you could play games, create your own levels and get your friends to play them and have a bit of fun like that. This is something that, you know, it, it every now and again it pops up in game, in all the annals of game history and we'll come across this again later um, with a few different titles. But, you know, even its most even in its most current version with the sort of the Mario version of, of building levels and stuff, you know, that idea that you can just take the assets and put them where you want and build simple levels out of them, I think is quite intriguing and it gives this game an extra dimension which it wouldn't have had. The irony of this is that it's a very small review in the Zap magazine. It's kind of a little half-pager, but it's still a sizzler. And even though it's got uh, unusually low graphics for its sound, because the sound is quite blippy-bloppy, and and originality, because it's you know, they're saying it's just another platformer, I think there's a there's a lesson to be learned from other platform games of that, that Load Runner has, and that's um, that don't put all your enemies on a cycle. Have them make it a bit of a cat and mouse game because that actually is more fun to play. Um, and there's a few other games that you know, if you take for example this and put it next to Minor 2049er or Bounty Bob or any of those, where it's kind of the same kind of multi-tiered platform game with ladders and things like that. Um, put this next to them, and this is far more playable and fun because you're not, you know, you haven't got that guessing game. If, if I jump off this ladder, am I going to die? Um, the enemies seem to have no logic whatsoever. Here, you know, you're you're on the run, and I like that about it. So it, again, I really enjoyed playing it, and it actually it's one of the games I played quite a lot. So um, I had a, a good run with this game. I really did enjoy it. I didn't get very far though, <laughs> but you know what? Nah, well, no, that's I, I I got to, yeah, I got to I think third or fourth level. Um, and I was quite happy with that, but yeah, it is it is good. It is really good. Um, and like I said, it's unusually intelligent. And those enemies, they they they're after you. They're, they're not going to hand hang around. Um, so yeah, yeah, good stuff. I like Load Runner again. Not I, I was one of those games. Always been aware of, knew it, heard of it, never really played it. Quite quite glad to go back to it. Yeah. Okay, so Load Runner, yeah. This is good. What are we doing? I know. Far, far too positive. Well, <laughs> these are the good. <laughs> yeah, this is true. This is, this is the good. Um, we're going to wrap up uh, this first section with our last one. Probably not got too much to say about this because it's very similar to one we've already spoken about um, in the episode. Um, and this is Commodore's International Basketball, um, which uh, was another one. I think got a sizzler, didn't it? Yes, yes, it did. Uh, yeah, so another one. So if you've played international soccer, um, you've probably played uh, international basketball, except it's just basketball. Same, very, very similar presentation. Pick your two teams, out come the big chunky sprites, three on three, and you play basketball. Now, the reason I wanted to mention this is because, the, the interestingly, and, and I didn't give, I didn't give, you, <laughs> give you this version, but there's, two, there's a difference. There's two versions of it. And the one I gave you, I think, was the US one. And the reason I think it's for the US one sort of thing is that advert in the background. Um, and this is what I wanted to talk about because I want to know what is Johnny's for funk. <laughs> <laughs> because there's an there advert is. smack in the background that just says Johnny's for funk. Now, 
for those who don't know, Johnny's is a bit of a euphemism for a certain thing. And I'm just wondering what the hell was going on with that <laughs> advert. Are they playing on something? I don't know. But it's it's <laughs> it just made me laugh. I was giggling all the time while playing this for some strange reason. Probably because of that. <laughs> um, oh, is it the UK one? So I'm looking at the picture right now. Johnny's for fun. Yes, no, it's... Uh, I think... What? I, what? I don't hey? know. I'm thinking it's maybe it's meant to be some <laughs> kind of music. I don't know. Because um, there's other sponsors in I'm there. hoping it is. Um, the... I mean, it, it's a basketball game. It's three on three. There's, it's actually, it runs pretty fast. I have to say, the sprites are, are a bit perfunctory, but not bad. They're multicolored sprites, and I mean, so ethnically diverse, which is really good to see in a game of this type, um, especially at that in that era, because we know that at that time, um, the equality and diversity things that we now stand by nowadays don't necessarily apply to those kind of things back then. So it has all that in the bag. Um, it's playable. It's fun. I'm not a fan of basketball, but I had fun playing this game. It just it is a kind of it is less players international soccer with the bas- with the ball played kind of differently in physics. But you know what? It kind of works. Um, it wasn't so bad. I've seen a lot worse games. It's ambitious to take on a game of the speed of basketball. Um, because basketball is a very fast game to watch, even if you watch it on TV, and you know, and it is a fast game with lots of fast passing and, and, and all the rest of it. Um, so to take that on is ambitious. But again, they took it on with football. Football's no, no, it's not like they're running around with playing it slow, is it? So um, <laughs> I, I enjoyed it. It's a bit, it's a bit perfunctory. It's a, it's a step up from an arcade in that it's a bit more playable. And, and I never played it two player, and I think that would be its great strength because. Um, in fact, I'm pretty convinced I was playing it two-player, but as one player, which would explain why everyone was really easy to run around. Um, but um, either way, it, I thought it was quite good, and it did have kind of the sort of um, bit of basketball razzmatazz. You've got top cheerleaders in there, and there's a little bit more pomp and circumstance in it than there is in perhaps international soccer. I thought it was pretty good. And I don't like sports games. So, great. like I said earlier, you know, it's just, the sports games don't endear themselves to me very well. So uh, I actually found it pretty, pretty, pretty good fun. All the same, all said and done, it it is good. It is good fun, and I I, I wonder whether this you know helps. It's it's it is from Commodore themselves. Um, so you know you would think that somebody who making it for Commodore may have sort of you know people who really know the system well to actually make it run and look nice because it does look and run you know cut above quite a lot of things at the time. Um, so whether there's something of that in there, I don't know. I mean, Andrew Spencer is the guy that's credited, but he does say Andrew Spencer and Commodore have made this. So, you know, there, there is probably some of that behind it. But yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. It is, it's a good version of basketball. It still plays well. It's fast. It's, it's nice. It, it, you know, those those sprites are very, very, you know, I still think today they're pretty good. Um, they, they, they're chunky, they're big sort of thing, but it, it, it runs well and it, it's got a nice atmosphere. It feels like basketball. It is clearly international soccer with basketball it is. You, know, with, you know so uh, it, but you know that's no bad thing the, t- the two games fundamentally are, are quite similar this, absolutely <laughs> you run down one end you run down the other with well, the ball i mean there are limitations <laughs> i mean um and the limitations you know let's let's be honest all the basketball players are the same height that never happens in real basketball i can pr- be pretty much sure of that so so you know you've all got they've all kind of got that kind of um, short kind of they all look a bit like but sort of um, power lifters. So how well they could play basketball it remains to be seen. I would have thought they'd have done better to have taller, thinner sprites. That's just me. Well, I think why well, are they two expanded sprites? Oh, yeah, they're just kind of 
the classic Commodore sprites, they're kind of short and wide, you know, and that's the Commodore thing. Um, I think they could have just benefited from being, you know, just make them slightly taller. I don't, I don't it's, a, it's a silly criticism, really, but what I mean is that, you know, um, for a, it, it's still playable in spite of that. And I think what they've tried to do is distance it away from the course a little bit to give it you a bit more of a viewpoint. I have to say, the kind of left to right, the viewpoint of the court works really, really well for this game. Um, and it's like international soccer. It, it's essentially the same thing, really. But it's, still, I, again, playable and fun and um, pretty nippy. It's faster than international soccer, international soccer, I think. I think it is a bit faster. Yeah, so yeah, I, I enjoyed it and I think it deserved yeah. its sizzler again. Yeah, I mean, it came out obviously a year year or so later, so I think so. Obviously, that you know optimized the code and you know got it got it running a bit better. I think yeah, it's good, 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 good stuff. I mean, that's essentially five and a half goods. Yes, which <laughs> is very rare for us. Uh, <laughs> absolutely. Um, I don't know if we're going to be this good as we go forward. We no. certainly weren't last month. <laughs> no, it's, it's going um, to go downhill. Uh, <laughs> we just need to prepare ourselves for that a little. Yeah, because yeah. Yeah, because um, that's it for this part. We're going to take a break. We're going to come back with uh, a little bit of news from around the world, what was going on at the time. Well, actually, news from the UK. Um, <clears throat> and then we'll carry on. But uh, yeah, there you go. Positivity. We're not negative. We're not. We've told yeah, you we're not. Not always. Um, and not always. Only when it deserved it. What's coming up after the break does deserve it. See you soon. <laughs> Um, quick roundup of what was going on in the world. Oh, not the world, actually, the UK. Um, back in June 1985, um, seems not a lot. It was probably a hot summer and people were probably just, um, you know, resting and relaxing. What was going on, though, uh, uh, according to, you know, that great source, Wikipedia, was uh, something called the Battle of the Beanfield. <laughs> um, um, I'm just going to read this out from the beginning of Wikipedia because I think it, it's, it's great. Um, it's not great, but it, well, for what it is, it took place over several hours. <laughs> Some battle um, <laughs> on the first of June, nineteen eighty-five, when Wiltshire police prevented the peace convoy, which was a convoy of several hundred New Age travellers, from setting up the nineteen eighty-five Stonehenge Free Festival in Wiltshire, England. The police were enforcing a High Court injunction obtained by the authorities prohibiting the nineteen eighty-five festival from taking place. Uh, there were thirteen hundred police officers took part in the, in the operation. Against approximately 600 travellers. That's a bit much. Um, and quite typical of the police, I think, back in the 1980s, who uh, tended to be a little bit heavy-handed over here in the UK. Um, I seem to remember with other sort of various events. But I just like this, um, with story sort of thing, which is just, you know, this huge authoritarian response to what was essentially just a bunch of hippies wanting to go play some music on Stonehenge. <laughs> um, seems really bizarre. Why would you have a problem with that? I don't know. Maybe there was. I don't know. I didn't live. I don't live in Wiltshire. Maybe there were other things going on. But it seemed. Um, it seemed uh, a strange thing to take umbrage at and throw thirteen hundred police officers at. Uh, seems weird. Um, I, I also like this quote in the uh, in the description on, on Wikipedia, which said um, <laughs> the free festival scene had uh, had emerged in the seventies, and the People's Free Festival at Windsor ran from 1972 until 1974 when it was violently aborted by the authorities. <laughs> <laughs> and that term, violently aborted, had me laughing quite a lot when I was looking yes. at this. Because it's like, how, yeah, how dare you have a free festival and enjoy yourselves? We're going to violently abort this. 
there's, <laughs> there's a number of really interesting details about this whole thing. So first, firstly, I read it originally as Battle of the Bean Feast, which I imagine was some <laughs> kind of angry exchange of people that bought bean feasts from Iceland or from Heron and that we took umbrage at the fact that you paid a slightly different price. So there was just kind of a war of bean feasts and then I realised it was Beanfield. So I'm assuming there's a Beanfield where there was some kind of battle um, the idea of the police fighting, uh, not only fighting, but outnumbering them, sort of, you know, two to one. Um, the idea of police two to one fighting new age travellers. And let's be honest, they're not known for their fighting ability against, uh, you know, an unorganised uh, military, really, which is what the police would have been at that time. So it just seems a very angry response to what is essentially a music festival. Nowadays, these things are thrown, popped up everywhere. Every pub in the whole of the country has its own fest of some kind. Yeah. No, God, can you imagine if your local pub had, you know, no uh, harm fest or you know <laughs> the, the local pub fest only to for thirteen hundred police to show up and you know and end it violently and abort it violently? You know? <laughs> it just doesn't happen now. But for no. some reason, at that time. There was this, and I think, like they said there, there's a, there's a mention of when it says peace convoy, which makes me think that there was it was probably something to do with a backlash against um, the peace movement that was around at the time and the nuclear threat. And right, so, possibly. Um, so it's probably a little bit, you know, the whole, um, what was the peace organization called with the... Greenpeace. Green, no, it's, there's a famous logo. It was Greenpeace, but there's a famous logo of the, it looked like underpants, but I can't remember what it was called. Um I could be that completely Greenpeace, wrong about that. No, Greenpeace was uh, was was the, the they that had the CND? Ring, the warrior uh, CND. That's it. Yeah, CND. So there was it was around that time, wasn't it? When there was CND, there was the big camp outside of the nuclear. Um, was that Salisbury? Yeah, there was exactly. So it's not that far from around there. Was the, there was the big CND base outside of the nuclear? I guess American yeah. Air Base, and so I think it all plays into that. And of course, miners' strikes weren't that far off from that either. And Falklands War was only a few years before. So you know, we were tooled up, ready for anyone that's going to try and have fun in this country. So if you're going to put on some kind of free festival, it was going to get violently aborted by the authorities, no matter which way you do it. What made me laugh more than that was that the fact that the, uh, the Wilshire authorities got a high court injunction. Like, no fun of any kind. Like, can you imagine them going into the court with that? So what's the reason for this injunction? No fun. No, no fun. No one's having any fun in our bean fields. Our bean fields are sacrosanct. They need, we need those beans. So it was just weird. It's a weird it's idea a, that you it's know, a weird. strange story. Yeah, and, I, I, and um, I paralleled it against the fact that Birmingham unveiled its bid to host the 1992 Summer Olympics, uh, which included plans for a, a new 66 uh, million pound stadium. So I can just imagine, hey, hey, Mr. Olympics, can we have the uh, thingy? Oh, all right, yeah. What's your country like for whole, for hosting stuff? <laughs> oh, we put 1,300 police against it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, exactly. you're not getting it. Uh, no surprise, Birmingham did not get the 1992 <laughs> exactly. Summer Olympics. So, can you imagine them saying, you know, so you, you want to host a, the Olympics, the Summer Olympics in Birmingham, right? So <laughs> We've got 1,300 police we can enforce. It'll be safe. You know, what we do, we need to hold all the track and field events. Have you got any bean fields nearby <laughs> we can just, you know, use? Like, no. <laughs> we, we we violently abort anything in our bean fields. So I imagine it didn't go ahead. Although I have a feeling that the Birmingham Bur did, did somehow get some kind of investment to have a new stadium because it was around that time, I think, that the there, there's a big, what's the big Birmingham stadium? There's a, there's a couple, isn't there? So I think one of them to get oh, built. I don't that. know. Um, I forget the name <laughs> of it now, but um, yeah, I have a feeling that there was some payoff, you know. You can't have the Olympics, but you know what? 
you could have that bean field to put a, a, a stadium in. But that's it. And you're not having six, 66 million. You can have, you know, 66,000. I'd also like to clarify that I'm pretty sure that the Olympics are not run by someone called Mr. Olympics. <laughs> I do it. <laughs> so I just want to don't, don't, sure. I, don't, I don't think Mr. Olympics runs the Olympics. Um, you, you should, know, Birmingham, It should. Just, yeah, absolutely. It should be changed by deed poll or whatever kind of poll they have um, in other countries where they live um, to change names. Exactly. And there really should have been a battle of the bean feast because <laughs> they, were, they were really nice, but they were one of the first vegetarian mainstream foods that came out, the bean feast. And you know, it predates Quorn. And I imagine the New Age travellers would have been outraged about a bean feast as much as they would have been about a bean field or anything bean. So, no. So, uh, there you go. Not a lot was going on in June 1985. No, angry exchanges in fields. <laughs> angry exchange of fields and uh, a, a, a swift a swift no to Birmingham with your 1992 Summer Olympics bid, I think was the uh, the case here. So there we go. That's the news. That's the news from June 1985. Enjoy. Welcome back. Um, after the Battle of the Beanfield, we move on to part two and more games. Uh, we've got one, two, three, four, five, six to go through in this section. So, uh, yeah, um, it, it's it's not all going to be good. I can well, actually, I know it's not going to be good because I'm looking at it. Um, <laughs> yep. And we're going to start with one. Uh, to, to be fair, these two were rated. High, the first two were rated highly by Zap. I don't think they were rated highly by us. Um, and our first one, we're going to look at. Um, it's a bit of a, I think it's uh, right to say, a bit of a, a bit well-known. I think it's a bit of a classic, regarded as a classic. I think it does have some kind of cult status. Um, and that title is Everyone's a Wally. Um, <laughs> certainly, certainly a title that, you know, is, is known amongst 8-bit enthusiasts, I would I would hazard a guess. Well, um, maybe so, more amongst Sinclair Spectrum owners, I feel. Yeah. Um, my, my, my notes on this was, I never liked these games. It's a caster from the spectrum. <laughs> Dull. <Yeah>. Um, <laughs> uh, it don't get better than that, really. Uh, <laughs> I never did. I, 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 so everyone's a Wally. What is it? What is everyone's a Wally? It is a multi-character side on 2D flick screen adventure puzzle type thing where you wander from screen to screen with a bit of manic minor weird objects floating around for good measure um picking up objects using them to solve puzzles in a very very um typical of this time sort of thing representation of a uh, sort of small english town um i think that's one of the reasons why it's quite liked because it's one of those sort of representations of british suburbia um and it's very british it is very very british and these red telephone boxes there's train stations there's all very britishness about it um but uh, it was a spectrum game i think it is a conversion from a spectrum game and it shows um it's got bloody color clash <laughs> for Which one thing almost impossible <laughs> I'd, I'd have to program that in I'm, yes. I'm pretty sure yeah um I, I don't even know how you do it um but it has it's got color clash it's 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 slow it slows down when anything more than three things are moving on screen um and then speeds up when they disappear or, or they're not on screen or something else so you can walk at you can walk at many paces <laughs> which is you know strange you go into different op- you go into different rooms you walk over objects you pick them up you randomly go about stuff wally himself is just a you know a typical sort of 
beer-bellied, what looks like a beer-belly sort of northern character. There's other characters that some would get their own spin-off games. I didn't get to any of the characters. I found it incredibly dull from the get-go. I was hoping to come back to this and maybe find what, what why people highly regarded it because I think some people do. They think it's quite quite, quite clever and quite good. And unfortunately, that just did not happen. No, no, it's never been for me. It never will be. Duh. <laughs> no. So my take on it was um, very similar. Um, I put my notes were dull spectrum conversion. <laughs> oh, sorry, another dull spectrum conversion. My main problem with this game is is there's a few actually. I generally have a real dislike for games where I have to wander around and just do stupid stuff like pick stuff up, take it from point A to point B, do the thing with it. Which is actually odd because when it comes later down the line, and this kind of game has its uh, evolutionary point in terms of um, things like Manic My- uh, not Manic Miner, sorry, Manic Mansion and Zap McCracken, and later down the line, of course, the uh, Monkey Island games and all of that lot. So this predates all of those. This predates that multiplayer thing. That's all. You know, those are things to its credit. However, graphically, this game is inept. This sh- this is not. Again, it's a game that is not playing to the Commodore 64 strength. It's just a straightforward graphic for graphic conversion, which is lazy. Number two, um, it's very perfunctory in terms of its sound. It's very dull. Um, there's not a lot to it. And my uh, my feeling with these games is you need some kind of stamina slash perseverance to really like them. And the weird thing with this was that I've, my feeling was that they really thought that the character of Wally was something that everybody knew about. That everybody would get behind. Now, this was a sequel to Pajama Rama. Pajama Rama was a big game on the Sinclair Spectrum. I don't think it was on the C64 at all. So its audience was kind of actually not that big. It kind of British, I think to say safe to say. In fact, probably quite English. The main sprite is kind of an Andy. The, the Wally character is kind of an Andy Cap kind of character. It's played in that kind of cartoon panel style graphics and left and right. So it feels a little bit like you're playing through a Daily Mirror cartoon. But one that has literally no laughs um, is very unfunny in my estimation, although I think they think it's hilarious. And it's got this weird northern mentality, this northern kind of feel to the characters and the style and everything else the game. But a soundtrack that's kind of cockney and and because this game came with its soundtrack on the B-side of the cassette, which was a recording of Everyone's a Wally. You can go on YouTube and find it. I ain't going to play it because it's horrid. But... Um, it, for me, it felt like a game that they genuinely thought this Wally character was like, you know, some kind of Mario character for the C64 or the, the whole 8-bit thing. And I'm pretty sure that nobody had probably heard of that character that far outside of maybe Pajama Rama put it on the map a bit. But I don't think Pajama Rama was famous for the character Wally. So I think all, all to make a game about a character... To then assume that, you know, everyone's a bit of a Wally now and again, and you do stupid stuff. Um, to play multi-characters that you have absolutely no affinity for and make no sense. And if you come to this game like I did with relatively few expectations and a short memory, um, you have no idea what they're talking about and who these people are. And this clearly some interplay that needed to have happened in the background and you need to understand a bit of the history of this stuff and what it means. Without that, it's just dull. 
and it suffered from it and I, that's what really put me off it um, I don't like games where I wander around left and right a lot and I tell you what the Sinclair Spectrum had a lot of those loads of games if I think just off the top of my head this one Pajama Rama Gift of the Gods um, any of the Saber Wolf or Attic Attack although they're a little bit more around the screen but that kind of running around screens picking up stuff um, right the way through to um, things like Saboteur and stuff like that they were very popular on the Spectrum I don't think they translate well to the C64 never have um, so um, for me it's a misfire and it certainly did not deserve the, the sizzler that it got in Zap I, I, that baffled me beyond belief this got lower marks than Loadrunner but an overall better score I find it bizarre that it did that but you know what again we're, we're talking about things that happened at the time wouldn't have been the way I reviewed it no, no, I, I remember not liking it at the time. I just don't like these kind of, I don't know if they're called arcade adventure platformy type nonsense. I just, just, I, I just don't get on with them. I just find it uh, dull. I just find Boring it, golf. you know, yeah, absolutely. It just, it's just, it's just not, not enjoyable. Um, Remind me, I mean, essentially, sort of thing. This is change the graphics and it's turn on nog. Yes, yes, and that was turn it off as far as I was. It concerned. was turn so, it off, and, and this so, was. You know. But what what makes me laugh with this is that you make a sequel to a game that was popular on one platform and assume that it's going to be popular on the other platform because it was popular on the spectrum. Are they not aware? Of, are they not aware of the marketplace they're in and the, and the hatred of those two platforms for each other? Did Jamarama not come out on the Commodore? I never, I only ever played it on a Sinclair uh, Spectrum 48K. And it, don't get me wrong, Jamarama is a good little platform game. But to turn it from a platform game into some kind of, you know, what well, it's it's a graph it is a graphic adventure, and but you know, one walking twenty screens to the left to pick up a fish to what twenty <laughs> screens back to the right to give the fish to someone else. It's like it's this, you know, games are like that. People do like that. Oh, now I know. Now I know what I need to do with the fish. <laughs> but for me, it, that revelation moment never happened. I'm just like, oh, I've got to walk to twenty screens to the left, and it's so slow when you walk in. So I want to yeah. go faster. Th- th- this sort of thing would be probably bettered um, in the uh, the Magic Knight series. Yes, Spellbound, um, yes. Finders Keepers. Yes, yeah, those kind of games. I think would would do this better. Um, I did not brilliantly. I mean, I'm not a huge fan of, like you said, I'm not a huge fan of walking twenty screens to find an object to walk back twenty screens. When this, the, the notion of these games is that they're punishing and they will kill you in a single screen. Especially as I found something first time I played this, I walked onto the screen. The sprite was right where I was and just stuck to me and just immediately killed me. You know, that's not going to endear me to a game. It's really not. It's just not. Um, you know, so for player affordance stuff, it's just you know. Nah, don't not not for me. I'm not a Wally. Nope. Everyone so, is not so, a Wally. That's so yeah, so thing. don't include me in your bloody title. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sort of. Yeah, take that, Wally. <laughs> I'm not. Um, so there we go. The uh, the rot has set in. Our next game, so everyone's a Wally, is not one we recommend. World Series Baseball by Imagine. I think it's by Imagine. It? Yes, uh, yes, is our it next was. game. Um, <clears throat> Graham, what did you make or think of? I mean, you're two for two on sports games so far in this episode. Did you, are we going to make it three for three? No, no, we're not. Oh, right. <laughs> okay, no. Let me just go straight from the off and say 
you know, <laughs> baseball is not a game I follow. Um, I get it. I get the idea of it. I get the whole thing. And, and I imagine it's the most amazing spectator sport in the world. Those American sports, American football, baseball are. They really are. That said, um, this is a sort of, it's a representation. Graphically, okay, I get it. It's, it, it is what it is. Um, the, the, you know, they're not bad sprites. It, it forms, you know, the, the, you pick your team and you do all the stuff you'd expect to do and then away you're playing baseball. My problem with the game was that it seemed next to impossible to actually beat the computer game. I was playing this one player and it's almost impossible to beat them. If you hit the ball, by the time you get to run to first base, you're out. There's no way around it. You cannot... You cannot hit that ball in any way that means you can actually win. So, so you really, this game's about playing it with your mate and a two-player. Well, I didn't have that option. Um, and I found it just frustrating. You know, it just, even hitting the ball was hard work because it's, again, it's a game a little bit about time and I think actually more luck. Um, there seemed to be no rhyme or reason to how you hit it, whether it would go for miles or whether it would just trickle in front of you or whatever. But I can guarantee, no matter how fast you run to that first base, if you don't hit it 20 miles away, um, <laughs> then one of the pitchers is going to run or the field is going to pick it up and throw it to the, the guy on the base and you're going to be out before you can get there. There's no way around that. It happens every single time. And for me, after the 50th time of scoring, uh, or either getting struck out or not scoring anything meaningful, I was kind of like, you know what, this is just too hard to play. Mm. Um, yeah. And it ruined the fun. And um, these games have to be fun because they're based around a very fixed set of rules. There's no li- there's no deviation. It's not like they're going to suddenly do multi-ball or, you know, <coughs> or suddenly or they're all going to sort of, you know, something, a giant's going to come on and throw the ball differently. Or None of that's going to happen. It's based around a real game. And so you've got to make the, the physics of the game playable. Um, and it's a lesson they don't learn in these games till much later on. But um, for me, no. In a, in the way that the tennis game was very playable because it had a little bit of random physics to it, and that is what tennis is. Base this game, you know, you could not score against that computer team, even if you were the best baseball player in the known universe, um, and happened to be also good at this. You still wouldn't do it because <laughs> no, it just it felt it felt a bit. I think it felt a bit rigged. I hate to say yeah. it for that. I just felt, eh, nah, not yeah. me. What about you? What did you think? Yeah, I don't think Babe Ruth was going to be good at this. Um, no. Uh, my comments um, were pretty simple, really. Fiddly. Fiddly visuals, fiddly sounds, fiddly controls, fiddly. It felt very fiddly. It's all very, the graphics are very, yeah, the people they run about, and the sounds are very blur. And there's, you know, I quite, the only bit I quite liked sort of thing was the interstitial bit between, between, um, overs bases what they call turns i don't know what they call it is it in baseball whatever it is so, so when one person's out there's a new round a, uh, I, don't, I don't know what they call it um <laughs> whatever it is um over. anyway <laughs> i don't know i wish it was over um i did didn't like it it was yeah I, it's, yeah it's just no there's something about it that just felt um a bit broken and and a bit sort of Try to doing too much sort of thing. For for example, sort of thing, the, the controls. So you, when you're fielding, the, the ball, um, you, you control, I think the control that's sort of the nearest person to, to where the ball is going to land. Um, and that's well and good. So you go and grab it, okay? But then to throw it, 
so you might be running sort of thing so you might be running at top right sort of thing to go pick it up to throw it to where you want to do you have to center the joystick and then push up in the kind of direction of the four points around the baseball field and then press the button so for up for up and down so often sort of thing i'd be running and just press the button so it'd throw it to the wrong wrong corner of the the diamond um thus allowing them to get further around than it It just oh i was just fed up i just i couldn't hit it i couldn't field i couldn't do anything and I, I, I just didn't enjoy my time with it. It just felt like um, a, a game that... I mean, there's a better baseball game to come down the line, um, which I, I really did enjoy, sort of thing. And hopefully, when that one does arrive, sort of thing, uh, it may, may feel differently, may feel... But this one just felt... It was too... I don't know. It just didn't It didn't sit right with me. I didn't, didn't enjoy it. It certainly didn't... Um, uh, uh, like Wally, it certainly didn't deserve Sizzler's uh, review uh, because it's you know it may work better in two player. There may be something there, but in in a single player sort of thing, it is essentially impossible to do anything because, as you say, those it's like playing you know automations. They just no you know there's there's no there's no fallibility in that AI, um, and it's it's just you know it is what it is sort of thing. But it you know it's bright, it's colourful, but essentially it's just. No, no, too, too it, crazy it, difficult, too fiddly. Yeah, it is fiddly. And you know what? Um, if I think about it, so roll the clock back as we sometimes like to do in this podcast to, to 1985. I don't know how much exposure at that point I'd have had to actual baseball. Um, so my assumption would no. have been probably more around kind of the softball. Maybe we played a bit at school or rounders, rounders. which is kind of so the idea of you know, um, pitchers throwing it in different ways the three strikes thing i kind of got and some of the perfunctory rules but there's a strategy around baseball which this game completely elides um where you know they, they the pitcher has a certain play he's going to tell the guy that's um um I, I don't know what the role of that guy is behind him i guess he's that kind of the catcher kind of guy but i don't know what the actual <laughs> name of that guy is but you know what i mean there's there's a language and addiction it's a bit like i've played american football and there's a whole playbook that you have to learn and you you, know, you learn that playbook off the you know off the back you know like the back of your hand you have to learn it and there's a whole language around that when the coach is deciding what play to do is when i was in the defensive line when he's deciding what play to do you know he's tapped pulling his hat and tapping his head and doing all sorts of weird stuff and you lo- you know exactly what play you're doing whether it's you know what kind of defensive play you're going to do and you need to learn that and I think that all of that is completely missing out of this game um, and they do introduce it later in other baseball games and in American football games and others as well you know when we get down to fourth and inches and other games like that which I think it still is the most unfortunate name for any game slash video game of all time but we'll you know that's a discussion for another day but um the long and the short of it is that this is a baseball game without the rules and because it doesn't have those rules it's a bit of a free-for-all in terms of the logistics and the logic of the game and because of that um you 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 can't play it in any meaningful way and get a good experience from it and so it just you just feel like you're playing against the odds all the time and like you say in a fiddly way and you know fiddly plus against the odds equals me switching it off I think that's the thing, isn't it? Sort of thing. I mean, tennis is one person on either side of the net hitting a ball. Basketball is three people on three people bouncing balls back and forth, sort of thing. You know, that sounds dubious. Um, um, <laughs> um, you know, but you, basketball is basketball. It's simple, sort of thing. You're just passing the ball and running about, sort of thing. And there's, there's you know, obviously there's traveling and speeding, and, and those kind of thing. Football is passing the ball, shooting it into a net. Baseball is bunting, balls, strikes 
loaded pitches, spin balls, you know, fast balls, curve balls. There's too much. It's too, it's too much to fit into what essentially, you know, seeing this from a bird's eye view. There's not, you know, no, no. Yeah. Wrong game. And it's, wrong, and it's wrong funny. format, and wrong you're game. Right, and it's funny because um, only when the arcade game stepped in to do baseball, to do golf, to do some of those other games, and even cricket, when the arcade designers stepped in to do those games and introduced that kind of gaming element to them, and when the computer games picked up on that later, and we'll see this later when we see the later versions of these kind of games, then you start to see how the arcade mentality and the idea that you, you can't just put the game in and make it the same. You've got to actually put some kind of arcade style to it and make it about that kind of ex- player experience when they do that. You start to get the kind of golf games and the, the you know, and the, the kind of the, those sort of that sort of it's hard to describe, but those games that have that kind of player mentality at heart, as opposed to the rules of the game at heart. Yeah, um, it's like I said with on court tennis. It's, it's essentially virtual tennis, which is the best tennis game ever made, um, in my opinion. Um, and on court tennis is essentially that eight bit form, and it's that taking that. It's that, contra- it's that notion of going, actually, t- take the controls, take the movement away from the player. Don't need it. You're, just focus on hitting the ball. And the designer of Tennis for Two has just cried himself to sleep. He's like... Uh, <laughs> is, he still ar- is he still... Is William Higginbottom still around? Well, he's probably not aware that he's crying. <laughs> is it, or is he just spinning in his grave? <laughs> I think he may, he may very well have passed away now. Anyway. <laughs> to be fair, Tennis for Two is not as good as on-court tennis, as much no, as I do not. like it. No, it's no, not. No, it's not. It's, you know, or whatever. So, World Series Baseball, no. No, no, no. no. But no. it is... It is better than our next game. Um, and our next game was a rude awakening for myself because I <laughs> had a—I have some fond memories of this, and I don't know why because this is not what I remember. Our next game is Richard Petty's Talladega. Um, I like your comment on our notes. <laughs> this is so <laughs> shit. <laughs> We're supposed to keep our opinions to ourselves before we have these. Before we have our pot, before we do it. <laughs> when I look back at our notes, it's our plan. Oh uh, yeah, I was like, oh, I remember it being all right. Well, I was in for a rude awakening. <laughs> I was in for because it's. I like the way that you can skip the intro, but I didn't. I watched the intro, which is a snail being run over. I think. Yeah, um, weird. very, weird, very slowly really by, 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 the, by the world's slowest approaching car. <laughs> it's weird. <laughs> it's just very strange. Um, so this is a world where we've already talked about Pit Stop 2. And I'm going to come back to Pit Stop 2. Richard Petty's Talladega is essentially, it's like, is it a NASCAR simulator? Because yeah. you're always turning left. Yeah, it, it is. <laughs> so exactly you're, just, it is. You're, just, you're just turning left. So it's a NASCAR simulator. Yeah, Tal- Talladega is a NASCAR thing. So, yeah. Okay, so it, it's... but. Just because it's you're always turning left, you'd think then, you know, you've got less to do. So less to program. You've only got left turns to program in. Um, this should be all right. But I, I, it's awful. It's so bad in every way. Um, and we come back to this sort of thing. And I've said this I said this about pole position and about pit stop. You know, in a world where you have pit stop two, there is no excuses. In fact, pit stop two is actually reviewed in this issue. We're not covering it because we have done it before. Um, and in a world where pit stop two exists, why the hell would you ever, ever, ever go play Richard Petty's Talladega? Um, I think Broken doesn't even come close. Um, it's 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 a mess of a game. It's a mess of a driving game. The, the uh, it, it's how do you get turning left wrong? <laughs> <laughs> it's 
to. I don't understand. How do you get just cars on a track with some sprite scaling and turning left? So wrong. How do I remember this as something different? I think I played a different game. Well, no. Um, I think I think the truth <laughs> of it will be that you probably played it two-player. Well, so, maybe. So if you played it two-player, that's a different experience. Only because, Does it have two-player? Uh, I think it does. I think. I never got that far. But it's awful. Um, I mean, let's let's do Firstly, Richard Petty, who is Richard Petty, number one. Well, I think he's, two, a, he's probably, I'm guessing he's a, he's a NASCAR driver. Well, this is it. So NASCAR in 1985, nobody would have known what the hell that was. And Talladega, even more so. So the, it's talk, talk about niche audience. So, you know, this is, well, this predates, just predates Sky TV in the UK. So the, the only time you might have heard of NASCAR maybe would have been on Entertainment USA, or which was a TV show back then, or maybe some kind of world sport TV show. Or, I don't know. Anyway, so... Even that aside, this game is weak graphically and in every other way that it can be. It even has pit stops and all of those things. But in a game, in a world where you have pit stop two, there is no excuse for this blocky, awful racing nastiness. Um, and I just found it frustrating, blocky sprites, in the same way that pole position was crap, dull, uh, and just not my cup of tea. And I, the trouble is, I'm spoiled because pit stop two is out at this time. Um, Pit Stop 2 doesn't have all of the graphics perfect. It doesn't have all of those things exactly right. But it's a lot better than this. And it's certainly better than Pole Position. And it's streets ahead of the competition it's got. Mm -hmm. If you want to see who Richard Petty is, by the way, just go to the uh, bottom of the notes. Just scroll your notes down for the episode. It's the first picture. Ah. <laughs> that's like Bruce Forsyth. The yeah, crazy that's Richard. Pe down. That's Richard Petty. He was actually a NASCAR driver, as we thought. He was. He's called. He was. He was known as the King. He's an American well, former stock I mean, car turned to NASCAR. Wrong. So there's, some, there's clearly know. some kind of major a uh, major sports endorsement going on, and that's fine. I get it. A bit like we had a <laughs> cricket game where we weren't sure who the cricketer was. Um, <laughs> you know, it's just. It's just a random name. And the word Talladega would mean nothing to a UK British audience. But, you know, they were relying on the fact that, you know, there's a couple of things to note, I thought. Okay, so let's take it for what it is. It's a racing game. It's based on NASCAR. So those cars are super ramped up for speed. That's, that's you know, it's, it's designed in that way. And there are lots of cars on the starting grid. It's famous at that time, famous for its crazy speed and its crazy crashes. When people wiped out in NASCAR, they wiped out big style. Those cars were smashed to smithereens. None of that excitement is present in this game. None. <laughs> Not one bit. None. You can bypass the cars easily. The track feels like it's some kind of on some kind of um wiggle it's not so much a track it's kind of just wiggly uh, in, this, in that weird way that pole position had where the track just kind of just bends arbitrarily so it doesn't feel like you're on a track that has a distance it just feels bendy and wiggly and unnecessarily so you don't really feel like you've got a lot of control over the car but what control you do have means you can avoid the two or three cars bear in mind that i'm pretty sure in this in the racing videos that i've seen of nascar there's been like 50 cars and it's crazy this the crashes are immense now, if they'd have focused on making this game a little bit about that, um, where if you crashed your car, there was this spectacular crash and there was a big pileup and all that kind of stuff, which wouldn't have been outside of the realms of possibility at that time to do in terms of a game. It might have had a little bit of something about it, but to just make it another pole position um, with a different car and even you know an even more badly drawn one, because I'm not sure what car that is meant to be. It looked a bit crappy like a space invader with wheels for me anyway it was awful 
Yeah, it's not great. And um, uh, my first, my one word review of that game was just crap. <laughs> so, um, and then I did add after that, you know, blocky awful racer, worse than anything I've ever seen apart from Pit Stop 2. So that's my uh, that's my summary of that game. I'm, I wish I'd never seen it, but I have. I just wrote everything about it. It's terrible. I think that's it, really. It is, and I think your comment. This is so shit. It's, it's, it's you know apt. apt. Um, yeah. I was stunned by what was you know. I was terrified when you said you had hours of play with uh, <laughs> with uh, one of our friends. At one we did. Time I'm on sure. This. I'm sure we did. I'm sure we did. He might come. He might correct me when he says no. I'm hoping no, he does. This other game. Um, He's just going to say but, you must have been having a stroke when you were playing that because because the other one I remember around, playing around the same time and I think we'll probably get reviewed, which I think was better was uh, the Activision one, which was the Great American Cross Country Road Race. Yeah, that's uh, which are which I remember being better. But this one, for some reason, I think we just used to play a lot of and I don't know why. Going back to it now, we were just idiots. <sighs> so Talladega, no. Talladega, no. Just no, 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 yeah, no, no. All kinds of no. there we go that's the end of part one we've looked at games uh, such as theater europe on court tennis mule super pipeline 2 load runner international basketball everyone's a wally world series baseball uh, and richard petty's talladega so it was as you can probably tell good to end on such a high note there um some good games some great games um and we've got more to come in the next episode including games such as hyper circuit uh, bc2 grog's revenge dam busters uh, ed estra um and another quasimodo game called Quasimodo. So uh, you can hear all that in the next episode. Thanks for listening to this one. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to the Zap to the Past podcast. We hope you enjoyed our deep dive into the world of Commodore 64 games, as well as the music, sights, sounds and news from around the 1980s, driven, of course, by the issue of Zap 64 magazine published at the time. We will be back next week with another podcast, so do please join us. Until then, please head over to zaptothepast.com to sign up to our email list as well as check out all the links and resources in the show notes. You'll also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram under Zap to the Past. The Zap to the Past podcast is written and produced by Adrian Mills and Graham Raddings and recorded at Flaky Bits 2.0 Studio. All opinions expressed are those of the writers, and while we indeed love Zap64 magazine, the Zap to the Past podcast is not affiliated with it in any way. Stay safe and see you next time.